Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern day Asian American woman. My name is Helen. I'm Janet. And I'm Mel. In our last episode, we talked a bit about what it was like to grow up in an Asian household. We took a couple strolls down memory lane and talked about growing up and some of our memories. In today's episode, we wanted to dive in a little bit more deeply around topics of our current relationship with our Asian identity. So let's start off by um, kind of still backtracking a bit and thinking about, do you remember the moment that you realized you were Asian, that you are maybe different? I want to say that um, I feel like I was like lucky growing up in an apartment filled with like family, love. We were never like overtly proud, but also never ashamed of being Asian. Mm. Like I can't remember a moment where one of my family members instilled fear in me um, that I could be targeted because of mm-hmm. my race or something like that, mm-hmm. right? And I don't think I ever recall being different. I went to a public school um, in the city, and my best friend in kindergarten was a white girl, Amanda. And my best friend in first grade through middle school was Cambodian. Her name's Rita. And I felt like everyone around me was um, very diverse, so I didn't stick out like a sore thumb. It wasn't until high school when I was actually torn between like my elementary and middle school friends who were really diverse and a group of friends that I had made in high school, which were all East Asian. And that's because I liked a guy that was in that group of East Asians. And it was interesting because my friends from elementary and middle school would be like, Helen, come play basketball with us like we normally do after school. And I'd be like, but I want to hang out with like this other group because the guy's there. You know, <laughs> oh, freaking guys always ruin everything, right? But I remember because um, ethnically the, the groups were super different, I think that's when I realized like, oh, I see color mm. now. I, that, that was like the moment when I was like, I see color because these two groups are just so different. Mm. And I think in high school is when people were definitely aware of race. Even within their own race, Asian race, there's different ethnicities that people started to highlight. I think that's when I started to to really think about just race in a different way. How did that affect maybe your image of yourself? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I remember being kind of sad about it, but I think it might have been also a little bit of nostalgia of choosing a specific group over my elementary and high school friends. Like, I remember that one day just saying, like, no to playing basketball with them. And we used to do that all the time, too, in a court that's by all of our houses. And I was just like, is it because the Asian kids at school are, like, cooler? They had, like, a sense of, like, I don't know. It was, it's hard to say. It's like there was, a, like, a collectiveness to it, mm-hmm. right, where it felt like they were, like, the cool kids. And I, I couldn't tell if it was because of race or not, but I remember I, I just – that was, like, a tough time for me. Mm-hmm to just start seeing like the color of my skin and am I going to the group of Asians because I feel like I just fit in physically with them Mm. or is it because of the guy what is it and yeah I just felt kind of torn how about you Mel do you remember the moment that you realized you were Asian especially because you said you've been going to Taiwan since you were like really young so I'm curious yeah I think this is a question I kind of struggled with because I'm like trying to remember any like distinct memories that I felt different um, but I guess like one memory I had growing up was I was friends with a lot of our, a lot of our neighbors on our streets and we're, our, where I grew up was very diverse. So like my neighbors were Mexican and my neighbors across the street were like, um, white and Mexican. And then, so I remember when my neighbors would come over for dinner, they would, I, I remember feeling like, oh, they don't know what we're eating. Like I felt the sense of like, oh, mm-hmm. they're kind of uncomfortable or they're just uncertain. And I remember my mom would make a bowl of white rice and she put soy sauce over it for my neighbor. Cause she liked it that way. And I was very like, 
what? Like, we don't eat it that way. And I felt like a, that's when I knew, like, something was different and when people would come over to eat. But in terms of, like, besides that, I didn't really feel, like, very, very different or I I didn't feel like I had a realization I was Asian because I grew up surrounded by a lot of Asian Americans. You know, like, in high school, it was a norm that after school, all of us would go eat pho. Like, everyone would eat pho. It wasn't weird. And then boba was also a common thing for us. Like, where I grew up in high school, like, everyone would go to Tapioca Express after school to hang out. Like, that was a thing. Like, you know, nowadays, boba is like, oh, my God, boba. It's, like, the trend. It's the newest. It's, like, the cool thing. No, in high school, it was the norm. Like, everyone from my high school would get boba. Maybe it's because everyone from my high school, like, a lot of them were Asian American. But the thing I learned, kind of like Helen said in high school, is that I learned the different types of Asian Americans. Because I think they are so different. Like, I remember going to, like, a friend's house after school and no, and feeling that, like, oh, you guys look like me. You were very similar. But when they started speaking, I didn't understand their saying. And I was like, oh, you guys are Vietnamese. Oh, you guys are Korean. And then that's when I felt like there's a difference. Mm-hmm. I, for me, I learned about different other Asians by, you know, by my friends and also by boys. Like, I <laughs> definitely remember um, freshman year of high school, my best friend was dating this Korean guy. My best friend's Taiwanese, too. And she's like, Mel, do you want to go with me to this, this church? And I was like, sure. Like, I don't know, like... I'm very open to, like, other, like, religions and everything. So I was like, okay. So I went to church with her. And I had a crush on this drummer, this, like, Korean drummer. And then I added him on AIM. <laughs> and then obviously, like... At church? Was, was he drumming at Yeah, church? he was, like, you know, Christian worship. Like, you play music. Oh, and okay, So, cool. like, I really... Okay. I actually really enjoy, like, music. So I was like, I really enjoy, like, yeah. worship songs. And so obviously, like, I, got, I befriended him. And we started talking on AIM. And so, like, I feel like I was exposed to other, like, Asian backgrounds, like just naturally just being a teenage girl like being curious mm-hmm. about like boys or like trying to explore friendships that way but in terms of asian oh yeah. man are boys the are our way into recognizing <laughs> your identities <laughs> and race yeah. no it's yeah. not i would well my best friend is the one that told me hey she's the one that asked do you want to go to church i was like okay but i did grow up in a very like asian american community like the minority where i grew up were white people and we used to joke around that like i have a one of my close friends white we call him his name's jack he grew up in, with a lot of, like, Vietnamese people. So we're like, we're like, Alex, are you, like, white? He's like, no, I'm Vietnamese. Like, that's what, he, that's a joke. Because, like, our minority mm-hmm. were white people where I grew up. So it's very different than Janet, right? Like, kind of kind of opposite. Actually, I've never heard you guys talk about growing up around, like, where your early friends were, like, white or uh, Hispanic or kind of being around that. Um, it actually sounds very similar to, I guess, mine. Um, mm. But maybe it's just that when I when the formative years of your when you're a teenager, I wasn't around a lot of like Asian American people, right? Mm. So I think that's like a differentiator. But um, my earliest memory of being around other types of people were probably it was going to like preschool. And so when I was in preschool, my mom um, kind of arranged uh, play dates with these two other students, like really young kids. One was this Korean girl, so you know I was like, okay, we. I kind of get along with her and I look like her. Of course, we couldn't speak the same language. And then the other was this like uh, little white boy. And so uh, I still remember when they would come to our house and like I at this point was maybe like four, three or four. So I still didn't speak English very well. And I, in order to communicate with them, I would always run back and forth to my mom to ask her how to say something in English. So I think that was the first introduction of like understanding that I was different, but also that the people around me were different. Um, and I grew up on a street with uh, like four to five houses of all these other girls who were a combination of like um, Caucasian and Vietnamese. And we would play, um, we would go over to each other's homes when we were younger to play. So I have very distinct like memories of walking into like how the households are different, right? So when you go into mm-hmm. like, uh, like a, a white household, the smell tends to be very like potpourri or um, it cookies. Would smell like- I don't, I, I don't know, like, or like one of the girls, like her dad, like was always like very handy. So sometimes it would smell like fresh paint and things like that. And then when you go into like, that's very contrasting for my house is that it always smells like, like the last meal that you cooked, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And then also, of course, the, the quintessential shoes, wearing your shoes. Like whenever I went to my friend's homes who were, you know, like Caucasian, you just keep your shoes on. And whenever they would come over, it was a thing we have, you know, like, please take off your shoes, and even like when we would have like play dates there for a long period of time, like you would cross into meals. So I still remember like I would have, and I think this is kind of an Asian cultural thing too, like to have like food envy for Americanized food. So when I was at my friend's house, her dad would make her like quesadillas and nachos. I was like, what is this? Like my mind is blown. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of memories like that. So that, that would be more of like a distinguishment of how I was like different or uh, an understanding of my culture. Um, but also in school, I don't know if you guys had this experience, but um, my mom always loved to dress me in like super bright and like 
crazy pattern clothes. And I think that there's something in maybe like Chinese culture where like bright colors and like loud patterns are like associated with like positivity and luck or I don't know what it is, but she was always drawn to like bright colors. And I always felt so like embarrassed by that. And that was something that for some reason, maybe because I associated that with like some of the stuff you hear about like like being like fresh off the boat or whatever like mm-hmm. that. Like your, your sense of style is like super crazy. Like that to me was like a big distinguishing memory of like not liking bright colors. And I think to this day, maybe that's why like when I started being able to purchase my own clothes, I always skew to a very like muted pattern and palette. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I have so many memories from childhood of being just like super like bright and like patterned. Yeah. I think for me, it was less so about the clothing because yes, I for sure was – Um, dressed up in like very bright loud floral print type clothing but I don't think I was ever aware of like oh this is embarrassing but it's more of like the hairstyle so having Uh. that bowl cut for such a freaking long period of time I remember when my hair started growing out and I was like mom you need to put this into two ponytails like that was my that was my thing when I was I don't know, like in middle school. So she had to wake up for work at like 5 a.m. But every night before we went to sleep, I would have her do my hair. So it's like perfectly split down the middle and it'd be like pigtails, like half pigtails though. And it'd have to be like perfectly symmetrical. And then I would sleep on my face. So so that so that it didn't mess up my hair. With like your nose to the pillow? Yes. That or like I would sleep on my hands or something and fall asleep with like my uh hands like supporting my chin. Oh because I didn't want to mess up my hair. (laughs) And I think I think that that was because I had bowl cut for such a long period of time and looking back on those pictures I was like, Hell no, never again. I have to have like good hair. (laughs) So yeah. Kind of similar to your uh clothing story but more so for hair well we have mama Wu to thank for your uh your awesome hairstyle nowadays right it's the focus point for you now (laughs) mel did you have something like that too hair i mean i definitely was traumatized by my mom cutting my hair in the backyard like so many times like growing in elementary school she'll go in the backyard i had to sit there and wear like our kitchen apron and she'll cut my bangs like i had i had the asian bangs for a couple years and then when I was 10 I was like trying to like you know find my own style or whatever and I was like mom like I want this haircut it was like a bob from this like Taiwanese actress or something she's like my my hairstyle's from Hong Kong he's really good and I'm just like I don't know man I see how he cuts your hair and I don't know if I like it and I remember oh. going to because you know you're, you're a kid you just go to your parents like hairstylist right you don't know yeah and my yeah, mom yeah. brought me to like this guy and I remember I showed him a photo and he's like yeah, yeah, yeah I can do that I loved looking like my mom like a, like a mother haircut like a mullet type of thing yes 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 i have so many stories like that too yes when i was in fifth grade my mom also was going through her phase of cutting bangs i was like the first child so i my sister got the better cut when she was like more trained but mine like went all the way up until i had like the super short oh my god i never short bangs super short bangs and then yeah and i would go to my mom's like um hairstylist person like all throughout even junior high like for picture day you know when you get your haircut and yeah, and you're like, oh, I want, and you look in the magazines and the style is all like more like maybe feathered or like straight lines. And then I come out and it's like a perm and I was like, what? You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You look like an Asian mom. Speaking of photos, I have a memory of like, never in elementary school, like you'll like have school picture day and like, there'll be that, like, it's like the same company, like all the elementary school uses, you like, either pose with a flower, a fishing rod or like those random things. Fishing rod? No? Only my, like. No. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking I gotta about. Find this. I just had the like, kind of, you put your hands down on some sort of like pole type thing i don't know but the background's the same right oh the background was like there was like a mountain spring exactly there was like a natural yeah yeah. <laughs> so when i went to elementary school like you could either pose like with your hands uh, you know crossed or with a flower if you're a boy you could choose a fishing rod i don't know why that was a thing <laughs> but i remember like for me like i remember my friends or like my classmates would always purchase like the whole full package of the pictures but growing up in an asian house my mom's like that's such a waste of money like, why am I spending money on this kind of pictures? She'll, like, buy one. And I'm just like, oh, that's it? Like, I feel like a lot of my other non-Asian friends or my classmates would buy the full picture package, but my mom would never buy it. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. So when you said picture day, I was like, oh, that's, what, that's what I thought yeah. of. I don't I actually don't have I – don't, I don't think I have, like, any pictures from when I was younger. I don't think they wanted to pay for that. Exactly. Yeah, they didn't want to like, pay like for Like you it. were saying, Mel, like – yeah, like even like my like prom photos and stuff, a complete tangent, but you would save your little wallet sized photos and then give it to your friends. Yeah. But like who wants to carry a photo of you and another guy in their wallet? <laughs> I don't know. It was always like a weird, it's like, hey, take my photo, yeah, take your yeah. photo. Why does it matter? I used to want those, though. I wanted them. But I was They're that, like trading cards. Yeah. I was yeah, also yeah. that person like when I got my senior portraits done, I didn't pay for the full package. My mom took a photo and she photocopied everything in Taiwan. 
for cheaper. Nice. Mm. So I was like, mm-hmm. nice. So that's why if you go to my house, like, I still have my photos, but they're, like, lower quality. Mm. You know, whatever. <laughs> that's funny. Just to hop on this topic, you guys are talking about, like, like, growing up and stuff in high school. Like, I actually remember, I think in high school, like, what, you know, your very formative years of your identity, you're trying to figure yourself out. I actually went to my friend's house a lot after school. So my friend Ian, his mom is, like, half Indonesian, half Dutch. And so all the neighborhood kids would go there. From freshman year to senior year, we'd all go there. And it was just, like kind of like the neighborhood household where all the kids would hang out on, on like after school and go to football games together and she'll always cook like big meals like she'll do like ham and cheese casserole like spaghetti taco night like very kind of more traditionally american food so in a sense i kind of felt like i had like a white mom in high school because hmm. all of us mm-hmm. would spend time there she'll take us shopping go to limited two forever 21 and like kind of buy us things and like to this day she's someone that like when we go back and i go back to union city like we'll try to grab dinner with her all the time because she feels like our neighborhood mom hmm. so kind of like another mother that who's like the your traditional like american mom growing up hmm, interesting that kind of reminds me of like so for me my high school experience a thing that stands out about kind of or like a cultural component um is i was pretty heavily involved in the dance team mm. and the dance team at my high school you have like the the students are you know we would have practices and be really involved but then also the parents they had like a parents not a club but like the moms would have to get together to help like plan things and of course like being being in orange county and especially for the dance team a lot of the girls were like it was for one year it was like super white and like my mom felt really uncomfortable and i still remember that Mm -hmm. tension of like she just was not comfortable in that setting she's like i don't really want to go and like go and hang out with these women and it just didn't really have a lot to relate around Mm. um and so uh and i would feel guilty about like i still really wanted to participate in dance team and i was in leadership and when you're in leadership it's also like the pressures on the parent to be more involved Mm -hmm. so there was definitely that like struggle for me in high school of like being very like self-focused and also thinking like oh to get to college I need to be really involved in these things but then also feeling like sometimes it was like uncomfortable for my parents yeah mm-hmm. yeah so that was a, a weird dynamic I don't know if I'm, I'm sure other people have kind of had similar similar things no I think I remember like in middle school when they'd have like the parent-teacher conferences mm. like I wouldn't I wouldn't tell my parents about that because mm. I was like you Janet it's like you don't want to put them in a situation where they might feel uncomfortable yeah. or that they can't communicate or whatever it was so I I think I always just like told my um, teachers like oh they can't they, they can't, can't come today it. was there ever a time when you you were ashamed of being of being mm-hmm. asian i do remember this is not a specific memory but i have many just i remember there were many times when i was younger that if we were in public and my parents were speaking chinese mm-hmm. that i would i would be like no speak english or you know like, yeah. so it wasn't a specific instance but it was a very common thing i think mostly probably in like elementary school because i think when you're at that age you're very sensitive to feeling like different or like standing out i don't know do you ladies have any any specific memories i can totally relate to janet of uh, the whole you know your parents speaking mandarin in public um when elementary school my grandma would walk me to the bus stop and she'd always speak mandarin and i felt like that's when i knew like people were staring at me like i was different and my grandma would always wear like you know, she's afraid of the sun. So she'd wear those, like, sl- those sleeves covering her arms. And then she'd wear mm-hmm. a hat that would cover her face. And all these different sleeves she's wearing are all cartoon, like, designs. And I don't, they, they didn't match. So I was kind of like, man, I totally stand out with my grandma right now. Uh, <laughs> but to be honest, like, that is the only type of embarrassment I felt. It's just, like, maybe a language thing with my grandma. But, like, overall, mm-hmm. I don't have, like, a lot of stories of being ashamed. Like, you know, bringing certain types of foods. Like, I actually really was pretty proud growing up. I think, again, it's because, like, I feel like my mom had to deal with the racism of, you know, assimilating to the American culture versus I didn't have to do that. Yeah. How about you, Helen? I think for me, like like you were saying, Mel, like, I can't remember ever being ashamed of being Asian. Like, not one moment. But I think throughout my life, there was maybe, like, an essence of, like, just, like, racially tinged self-consciousness. Mm. So, like, racist remarks or comments. Kind of like that nursery. I remember this nursery rhyme very well. Like, when people said, Chinese, Japanese, dirty knees, look at these. Oh. Do you ever yeah, hear that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. It's like a nursery rhyme, too, that a lot of people just, just like, repeated. I feel like it was more background noise that I'd accepted rather than seeing mm-hmm. it as outright racism. And I think it's because my parents never taught me to put my guard up or to be, like, fearful. So it became part of just the norm. But the other time, I guess, is, like, the Asian glow. That's also that's <laughs> also one thing in college where I was like, oh, damn it, if I wasn't Asian, then uh, I wouldn't have this, like, glow. Actually, Helen, now that you mentioned that kind of, or you explained it in that way, which I think is very poignant, that it's kind of this low-level pervasive thing that we just take on that you kind of just accept. 
Um, I think that's exemplified by, you know, I do have a memory now of like going to the orthodontist with my mom and I had just gotten braces and the lady was like, oh, you can't drink like sodas because it'll like, you know, rust the braces. And my mom's like, oh, what about using a straw? And then she's like, oh, she scoffed. She's like, well, that's the same thing as drinking the soda, you know? And I remember at the time, like looking at my mom, like feeling embarrassed to like, oh, I think it's just an example of like always believing that your parents because of the language or whatever that they might have misunderstood or they don't really understand Mm. and then when I got older I thought about it I was like no that's makes sense like a straw would bring the liquid right past your teeth and so there were moments of that like now in in hindsight that I kind of regret where I feel like I might have in out in public felt quote-unquote embarrassed by my parents or just assumed that they were like not understanding something Mm -hmm. or something like that Mm -hmm. but it's like almost hard to remember those moments because it is almost like that was just part of the norm of growing up that you don't even think about it as like, oh, that was a really racist person and a really racist Mm -hmm. remark. Or in that instance, not necessarily out of like race, but just that I would automatically think that my parents were wrong. Mm. And that's like, you know what I mean? Because I was like so apologetic for it or something like that. So yeah, yeah. You were aware that, you know, your parents were different from the people they were interacting with. Mm. Exactly. Well, opposite of shame, (laughs) what were some of your proudest accomplishments that you would relate to being Asian American? I would say, this is going to be super cliched, but you know how they say that Asian people are good at math? Mm -hmm. So I wasn't naturally good at math. I put in a lot of time and effort, um, but I ended up majoring in math in college. It was something that I, in hindsight, really, really appreciate. And um, I think because it really taught me to push myself, I think that it really helped me exercise like abstract thinking. Um, And it's something that I, I think... Because I was raised Asian American, um, it's not just math, but it was just like anything quantitative or more challenging or more numerical was like encouraged. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that I think that drives towards like challenging myself and valuing education and prioritizing all of that um, is something that that I, I associate with my cultural upbringing. Mm. How about you, ladies? I think also in lines with Janet, I, I think we all agree that getting into a really good university is a huge accomplishment. It, it gives something for your parents to boast about. I know my mom does it all the time. Like she's so proud of my brother and I for getting like to like top universities in California. So that's one thing. Um, another thing that pops in my mind that might be kind of not directly related to being Asian American was that like in high school, like I actually won homecoming my sophomore year. And for me, I felt that was a win of a child of an immigrant who grew up in it. American culture where knowing that homecoming and like all these like kind of like weird American values are a thing like in a high school culture because my mom in high school she was the nerd she was the one that went to the science club she definitely had some bullying when she first immigrated to the U.S. so I feel like something like homecoming where it's like a prestigious title in high school that I won that and she came to the game when I like went on the, the card so I felt like that was a moment not not only for me but for her too. Um, so I thought that was really sweet. Also, like a subtle brag that yes, I did win homecoming. So I was kind of royalty. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> How about you, Helen? I remember when I was younger, like um, in middle school. I, I honestly thought I was like dumb, like legit dumb, dumb. <laughs> I can't say dumb. <laughs> I was dumb, um, which now when I think about it, I think was actually just like a heavy case of like OCD. Like, I remember reading um, Where the Red Fern Grows, which is one of my favorite books. And I was on the first page for like 20 minutes. Well, I was reading the first line for like 10 minutes because I needed to read the words in a certain way where the words would be like absorbed into my mm-hmm. mind rather than just like glancing over it. So I think throughout my childhood my parents and my sister thought that I was like like special just when it came to reading though Mm. um so I would say that one of my proudest accomplishments was like getting into a good high school and a good college and proving that I wasn't dumb um but then the proudest was probably getting a good job because there was so much competition for the job that I was going for and I distinctly remember the interview room was filled with a lot of white guys going for all the finance positions Mm. so I did not think that I was going to get the job but I think like my proudest proudest was probably getting a promotion at work to manager because I think once I bought into that system and understood that there were so many like microaggressions against not only Asians but also women too like and particularly being in the combo of like Asian and female getting a promotion based on merit and being able to like survive the additional difficulty of being Asian and female meant a lot Mm. and like you were saying Mel I think seeing how proud my parents Mm -hmm. were of me was just like cool yeah I'm not dumb (laughs) (laughs) Far from it. Far from it. I think another thing I want to add is like, this pertains to us. Like, 
I feel like my mom, like, I mentioned this so much in previous episodes, but as we're talking about being proud, like, my mom is very active on Facebook. She posts almost every week. Whenever she goes to vacation, she wants to post. But she'll always, like, when ABG, like, gets something or, like, we got an award last year or, like, we, get, we were able to attend a gala, she'll always share a photo of us on her Facebook saying, look at my daughter, look at her friends. She was able to make this. And, like, I think for, for me, like, for her, me being, like, self-made in a sense, like, where I was able to, like, you know, find myself in my career and do all these things, be independent versus like having it passed down from a family. She's so proud of that because she feels like she taught me well. And the result of her, of, of course, but like, I think as we accomplish more with ABG, she really like, takes it in and really uses it as like, look at my daughter, or, like look at my son. Like she feels very proud of what we're doing. Yeah. yeah, I would definitely echo. I feel like another one of my proud moments is being able to share uh, that we're doing this podcast with my parents and really being able to see that their reaction is a genuine and authentic like sense of like wow that is really great that you're doing that and for them to really resonate with that because like we mm-hmm. I had talked about like they are also somewhat you know like they immigrated from Taiwan but their parents immigrated to Taiwan from China so they I think understand the struggle of being very in between and a little bit not quite one you know culture and not quite the other yeah I guess our proudest moments are when we make our parents proud that's cute. yeah that is a good conclusion <laughs> I hope my children say that about me one day. You know, same, same. <laughs> or would it be that parent that's been like, you know, when I was your age, I made your grandparents very proud. So I respect the same out of you. <laughs> I wonder if there, what will be the next form of like a podcast in the future? Oh my gosh. VR? Oh, it's gonna, yes, VR. Yes. <laughs> That'd be so, so cool. You're going to have to form some sort of, some sort of VR thingamabob. I don't know. <laughs> like how cool is it if our kids could like create this VR system where like we could go back to a time where our grandparents were alive and like kind of see how they were living. Mm. That's very, I mean, that's, that's, that's already Google Maps. Yeah. You can already do that with Google Maps, but even more so, Yeah, right? but more like, yeah, like rewind like time. Like 1950, mm. like, you know what I mean? Yeah, that'd be super that'd be cool. cool. Oh. Whoever is out there creating a VR app, hit us do up. Do it. Yeah, let, let, let me know. Let us know. I mean, don't hit us up because we can't, we can't help you with anything, but once you finish it, let us know. Skillshare is the sponsor of today's episode of Asian Boss Girl. We know a lot of you work on creative side hustle projects or have the desire to start one. One of the main factors in achieving this goal is finding the right resources to develop your interests and skills. Skillshare is a great resource that offers classes designed for real life so you can move your creative journey forward without putting life on hold. They offer a wide variety of classes like calligraphy essentials and Instagram worthy photography Or if you're looking for more lifestyle classes, they offer interior design basics, simple steps to your perfect space. Explore new skills, deepen existing passions, and get lost in creativity with classes from Skillshare. Skillshare is also incredibly affordable, especially when compared to pricey in-person classes and workshops. An annual subscription is less than $10 a month. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash ABG and get two free months of premium membership. That's right. Skillshare is offering Asian Boss Girl listeners two free months of unlimited access to thousands of classes. Head to Skillshare.com slash ABG. There's a prevailing stereotype that Asian women all have stick straight jet black hair, but that's just not the case. One of the main points we make on this podcast is how even though we are all Asian American women, we are all really different. And that goes for our hair too. Janet has short, dark, but not quite black straight hair. Mel has thick, somewhat wavy brown hair with golden highlights. And me? I have long, gray-blonde, textured hair. Function of Beauty formulates every bottle based on our unique hair types and hair goals. They gather your information through a quiz, and you can customize with the fragrance and color. The last part, which we had a lot of fun with, was adding your name to be printed on the bottle. So we went with our nicknames for each other, Woo Woo, Mel Mel, and Jan Jan. They're vegan, cruelty-free, and never use sulfites, parabens, phthalates, or mineral oils. They're offering our listeners a savings of 20% on your first purchase. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash ABG to take your four-part hair profile quiz and save 20% on your first order. Don't spend another minute in hair misery. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash ABG to let them know that we sent you. That's functionofbeauty.com slash ABG. All right, ladies. So what do you hear when someone says, what are you? Where are you from? Hmm. I freaking hate that question, guys. 
I, I will say that I really? do not. Yeah, I don't. I feel like my blood actually boils when I hear this question, especially in a day and age where I, I give people the benefit of the doubt of being a little bit more woke. I feel like anytime someone that I'll say that isn't Asian mm. asking me this question, I feel like they're using it to categorize me and put me into a box of someone that they have in mind for what a Chinese person is like, what a Korean person is like, or a Vietnamese or whatever. And it makes me feel like they're saying let me label you so that I feel comfortable. Like when you when you're doing that, it doesn't make me actually feel seen as a person, even even though you're learning a little bit about me. So yeah, I, I remember this like distinct moment when I was traveling solo, traveling in Italy, and I don't know what it was about the region I was at, but I was asked that question at least three times, mm. and I was just like, what the like what the what the heck? And they were they were like also I think I think trying to hit on me too and i was just yeah. like that is not mm. the right question to to start off with that, i think that question just like really really makes me upset mm. i have i think maybe a little bit of a different reaction i mean if someone said what are you i think i would be offended yeah. but if they asked me like where are you from um i always kind of default to believing that someone is trying to make a connection with me and i also think that that question sometimes is similar to like asking you like oh what do you do for work or something mm -hmm. it's like there you know and i don't think that's like necessarily right but i think maybe for me because i haven't had too many um interactions that were negative i kind of always default to being like oh they're trying to make a connection but if they ask me what are you i think that's that's a little bit, you know, like wording and, and the context. Like, Helen, if you, like you were saying, if I felt like someone's like trying to hit on me or doing something like that, then I think mm. my defenses would be up. But usually when I've been asked that question, it's been more like at an open networking type event where it feels more like either professional, semi-professional or like social, but like platonic. Mm. But I think specifically the question of like, where are you from indicates that you're not from America, right? Mm. It's like where it's more like, what is your ethnicity yeah. would be maybe the mm. more appropriate question to ask. Because where are you from just indicates that you're like a foreigner based That's true. on Actually, the color of yeah, your skin. Yeah. Let me rephrase that. If someone asks yeah. me where I'm from, I usually say like, where like Orange County. But if yeah. I'm being asked my race, usually it's like they'll, they'll ask like, what is your, can I ask what your cultural background is or what your mm. ethnicity is? Mm -hmm. And that one, yeah. I would not yeah. be as offended. Although I think it's once again, the context, if you felt like it was coming from someone with like bad intentions and they were saying, what is your culture, what's your ethnicity, then it feels like off. Intention. The intention yeah. of it is always like a huge, yeah, switch. Mm -hmm. How about for you, Mel? What if someone came up to you and said, where are you from, girl? <laughs> and they say like that, I'd be like, nowhere near you. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I do think I fall a victim because I actually ask this question a lot. I'm not going to lie. I ask this question amongst the Asian community because there's so many different Asian identities, right? So for me, it is a way for me to f figure out like how to connect with you because like obviously, you know, being Taiwanese American versus Vietnamese American is a very different thing. So me understanding like, oh, this is probably your family culture because like I do have a lot of Vietnamese American friends. So growing up with them, I, I know like, oh, like maybe this is a custom they do that's different than from me. But I asked that I asked that just to like to connect. If an Asian person would ask me what are like what's my ethnic background, I wouldn't be offended by it. But if someone else were to ask me that that wasn't Asian, I'd feel like of why does it matter? Because yeah. I don't know what their intentions are really. But mm. maybe they are trying to connect too. Especially if they're they follow up with the question about like where are you really from, right? Like you say, oh, like Janet, if you were to say from Orange County, and then they're like, no, where are you where are you yeah, really yeah. from? That would be very different. Then it's like. Bitch. Yeah. <laughs> or you know the thing that I always do is I turn it around on them too. So if they ask me where I'm from and then if it feels like they're asking about my culture and then I ask them like, oh, where are you mm. from? Or like where did where mm. where's your ancestral background or something? Mm. That's Janet's way of like silently like being a she's always, she's like she's away with her words. So where are you from then? <laughs> <laughs> I can see right? that too. It's like a little mini stab. Yeah. <laughs> I always say Janet has, you know, that little, that capability. That little fire. Mm -hmm. Yes. But I do have to say, like, I think I've been really fortunate enough to not have that, ask, that question asked a lot to me. So I'm like, okay. Yeah. I think the older that I've gotten, the more that I'm just, like, aware of different intentions behind mm -hmm. that question. I haven't heard it that question in a long time but i just remember when i was in italy and there were so many people that asked me that i was just like holy because there's not there weren't a lot of asian people where i was mm, either yeah. so i think they were thinking that i was a foreigner and like being maybe closer to asia yeah. so closer europe asia yeah it's not that much closer <laughs> but yeah they were probably like curious of mm -hmm. that where i was actually from are there certain um aapis in the spotlight that inspire you or like anyone who is kind of more well known has done something that you find really inspiring you ladies inspire me Aww. i'm looking at mel's face on zoom right now and she's, <laughs> she's like, like bullshit <laughs> those are lies helen <laughs> no like for real though like you ladies for sure that wasn't my answer but i, I do mean that <laughs> Aww. 
But someone that I um, haven't talked about on this podcast that I admire very, very much is Jamila Jamil. Do you guys know who she is? Yeah. She plays Tahani on The Good Place. So she she is from England, uh, and she's half Indian and half Pakistani. And she always says that she's, like, very proud to be completely Asian. And she advocates for the lack of racial diversity in the entertainment industry. Um, and that she's like, I'm proud to be full Asian, not a mix. And I think it's just, like, very empowering to hear that from someone in the industry mm-hmm. when they might want to just, like, kind of blend mm-hmm. in and not really distinguish themselves based on their identity, right? But she had, like... A number of complications when she was younger like she's half she can only hear like 50 percent or something like that um and she was diagnosed with a genetic disorder and she also suffered from an eating disorder so she is someone who i feel like has been through so much bad in her life and is actively doing so much good as a role model advocating for body neutrality with her i way initiative on instagram guys look that up she like lashes out against the kardashians for promoting diet programs and fit tea ads that are like really harming young girls out there Mm -hmm. so she's someone that i'd never talked about before but um i think she's such an incredible role model i look up to her what about you ladies so two people i look up to are leanne kim and brian who from the pacific arts movement and they're the ones that um put on the san diego asian film festival and it was the internship i was a part of in college um, at the time, Leanne was a director of Pack Arts, and Brian is still the programming director. And they're just people that really exposed me to the Asian American film and media world. Even though it's been almost eight years, I still see them pushing with representation through, like, you know, film initiatives or, like, Leanne's still part of other community groups that really just, like, are pushing for Asian American representation. And, like, they're not in the spotlight, but have been in the community for so many years. And, like, I just feel, I just really admire them for what they do and their tenacity. And Brian actually is a professor of Asian American cinema and was one of the first Asian American film critics. And he teaches in San Diego. And so whenever I see them, which is, like, so rare, I, like, always get a warm feeling and a very, like, nostalgic memory of them in college because I feel like I was so inspired by them. And I still am to this day. And... Yeah, like, they're just people I've always remember. I think our friend Dan Matthews can also speak really highly of them. Dan came from from Packards. Taylor Chan came from Pack. Like, a lot of us came from this organization that really just, like, kind of built this foundation for us to really, like, thrive and learn more about the Asian American film world. So there are two people that I always look up to and still admire to this day. I've heard so many good things about them from both you and Dan. Yeah. And they, they seem like people that really actually, like, changed maybe even the trajectory of your life. Yeah. Go Leanne and Brian. <laughs> have you janet i really look up to eva chen she's chinese american and um she started her career actually in fashion and i think editorial fashion so within like journalism now she has written a couple of children's books and also i believe leads like partnerships or something at um at instagram she's chinese and her husband is british and they have two kids together um, and she's very active on Instagram, and I love watching the way that they kind of integrate her cultural background uh, with her children. Um, so she has her parents are very active in their life, and um, it's just something that I love to see that there's a cultural component of having you know a husband with a different cultural background, how you raise your kids together, but then also for her how to be have like a full career as a woman, and then also to be a mom and to be a wife. So I just find her very inspiring and uh, she actually, her children's books have also been uh, specifically around like stories that are focused on like women and teaching younger girls about like famous, well-known, strong women. Um, Another person Mm. that I think is really inspiring is Alexandra Wang. So I think for the younger Mm. generation, um, he is someone who, first of all, just as a person, anytime I've seen kind of like videos or content that he puts out about himself he's very like unapologetically kind of quirky and he he's very kind of forward of his Taiwanese culture um but also his brand I think that for our generation to have something um that is so quintessentially like Chinese like his last name Wang to have that be something associated with something that's very fashionable and cool I think is is really awesome like I would have loved to have that growing up when I was in junior high (laughs) yeah I've seen his slippers that say Wang on it yeah I was like (gasps) You should get it. And when I get married, if I take the last name, I should get it. Matching. <laughs> matching. Should get it. Yeah. Philip should get it. Matching. Wang, wang, wang. Yeah. So Alexander no, Wang, if you want to sponsor us. <laughs> yeah. And if you have any other cousins or any, like, you know, brothers named Wang, I want to marry one, I guess. <laughs> like, I wear the slippers. 
<gasps> well, I feel like only recently have we really started to see this like momentum of AAPIs, right? With the rise of like Hollywood stars like Aquafina, Sandra Oh winning an Emmy, Simu becoming our next uh, Marvel superhero, Parasite winning six Oscars in one year. Media really does drive perception, and the perception right now is that AAPIs are just starting to be recognized, which is really cool. So maybe something fun to think about when we hit the age of 50, which, ladies, it's really not that far from now. What is your idealistic and realistic view of the landscape of APIs? Well, I think it'd be really idealistic if, like, you know, being represented is no longer a thing we're fighting for. You know, or we're able to carve a space for ourselves in entertainment like the black community has done. For in terms of, like, the corporate world, I think it'd be, like great to see more asian americans men and women on executive boards and not just on middle management and also like just for the younger generation like i'd love to see younger kids in college pursuing careers and majors that they truly want to do versus what versus something their parents want them to do which is something i don't i don't know if it's gonna happen in the next 15 15 years 20 years mm-hmm. yeah how about you guys no i completely agree with you especially on your second point too like i I really want our generation to become so successful in so many different industries to show the next generation of kids like our kids Mm -hmm. that they don't have to feel guilty if they want to do something other than be like a doctor or a lawyer Mm -hmm. and that they can find success in pursuing their passions and like you were saying also mel like not just middle management but like even i think about like the dni initiatives of a lot of these companies out there sometimes it's it's almost like a small budget or like an afterthought Mm -hmm. or like a token necessity of a company. Mm. But hopefully when we're 50, those become more like full-fledged supported networks involving not just, you know, the people who fall under the DNI initiatives, Mm -hmm. but like everyone at the company wanting to show up and, and support it too. Yeah. I mean, I would just echo everything you ladies are saying. I think it's a lot of having the building blocks of all industries are kind of I mean, I think a lot of human nature is built off of like relationships, right? So the more that Mm -hmm. we can get people who are of Asian descent in different industries, um, in positions of power, then there's a natural kind of relationship there for for that community to develop. Um, And yeah, when I kind of was thinking through this question, my first thought was also like, what is the kind of world that I want my children to grow up in? And I would love for them to be in a place where, whether it's on TV or in school or wherever it is, to feel like... Um, they can see themselves in any story and any narrative. Yeah. And something else that I think of too is I, I really want um, mental health to no longer be like a stigma mm. within Asian culture. And also if there were like hundreds of Asian boss girl type podcasts out there, that'd be, that'd be really cool. Yeah. I will say that um, I predict that maybe even within our lifetime, I feel like the divide in our country is actually going to get worse before it gets better, especially with minorities getting better jobs and you know taking over jobs that are not just like running nail salons and laundromats and rest chinese like restaurants right there i feel like the racism is probably going to be even more rampant mm. um given like the current state and china itself i'm thinking just about china right now but they are the fastest growing economy i think there's a there's going to be like a wave of people wanting to understand their culture and their heritage a little bit more and going back to china to like raise their kids like i know my parents fled china because of how bad it was there right in like the 60s or 70s i can't remember but it's like i think there's going to be a wave of people that want to just feel comfortable living living somewhere that makes sense i mean i think it's like yeah if you look at kind of where because they came here for more economic opportunity and if now china is proving to be a very lucrative like economic um a place for economic opportunity that's a very real thing yeah yeah yeah, I wonder if that's going to happen in our lifetime. Do you think you're going to like want to want to take your kids and raise them there? I mean, that's probably going to be hopefully in the next couple of years. So probably not, mm. but maybe like their their kids. Yeah, the know? next generation. How crazy! So it would be like American boss girls if they started podcasting. <laughs> Whoa, that's rare. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of our family lineage and our kids, you know, assuming at the age of fifty. How would you pass down your Asian American heritage to your kids and your family? Ooh, um, I think it's it's these things are kind of easy to say before you actually have to implement them, right? Because I think yeah. it's uh, it, it will be hard. But when I've seen a lot of like my friends who um, are of different ethnic backgrounds and how they're raising their kids, I think 
And Mel, I think you've mentioned this before too, but being around the parent, the grandparents mm-hmm. who naturally speak mm-hmm. the language and naturally kind of behave in ways that uh, support the values of the culture is like a really good way to kind of uh, to pass the culture on. And language wise, like I, I would love to say that I, w- I want them to speak and write, but I think realistically, I don't know how easy that will be to implement. I would, however, mm-hmm. at least like them to um, to understand the language. And I think that would be like being around my parents and having them speak Chinese to them. Yeah. Like thinking back to or just like reminiscing a lot on our childhood, the last episode and this episode and thinking about like the complexity of just growing up in such a close knit, like three story family household surrounded by Asian food, culture, traditions, and also feeling kind of like I'm losing that a little bit, mm. like even the language and being able to speak to my parents and like thinking about not having a Chinese wedding and not really knowing what to do for like Chinese New Year. Like what am I supposed to put around the house and what am I supposed to, am am I supposed to buy red underwear? Like am I supposed to like stomp, stomp shit? Like (laughs) these things, I feel like (laughs) my mom is the one who told me and I'm, I'm kind of losing that a little bit. It is incredibly important to me that my kids can speak the language, whether it's Mandarin, and Toysonese. I know my mom would come over to help me take care of the kids. And I, and I already told her, I was like, mom, you have to speak Mandarin to them. You have to speak Toysonese to them and just like fully, fully talk to them. And I'll, I'll learn too. you know, I'll learn mm-hmm. Mandarin and I'll do it at the same time. I want them to know their grandparents. I want them to know their traditions. Yeah. And recently I started cooking Chinese herbal soup at home. And it tastes like it's, it's just like the smell of it, the aroma that fills your house and just like the ginseng and like the red dates and the goji berries. It's like it's so homey mm-hmm. and it's nice to like have that feeling, you know, I want to be able to give that to my kids too, hopefully. Yeah, I think as you guys are speaking, I feel like one thing we can do, like, cause, you know, we're all friends. I'm assuming we're going to have our kids and like spend time together with like we're going to have a lot of family gatherings within our just amongst our three families. I think it'd be nice to like, instill culture if we can to our kids about even like food, like what are things we can make for our kids, like when our kids are getting together for them to eat or like what are we doing like together as a collective like a friend group to like make sure that we're passing it down because like you know Mm. our friend group is predominantly asian american so i do think we have all these different asian backgrounds that we can you know share with our family and our kids uh, with and with each other so that'd be really cool i think like you guys i definitely agree language is a huge thing and it's hard because like i feel like my mandarin is fleeting i don't i can barely speak it that well like both you guys said my mom is she already knows like when I get married and have kids there's a room designated for her when I have a child and I'm like you this is this is for you and I go mom you have to speak Mandarin because like I speak English you know we speak English with each other she's like you know to be honest it's gonna be difficult for me because I speak English with you so it's gonna be like a change for me to for me to speak Mandarin with your child but luckily my dad my stepdad speaks like fluent Mandarin like we speak in Mandarin so I'm hoping with that like that could help Mm -hmm. you know with the language with my kids and then like You know, even, like, watching, like, because I grew up watching so much Taiwanese shows and, like, Korean shows. So I feel like that's how I learned the language is, like, just absorbing Mm. myself in, like, pop culture. So for me, like, even just, like, music or, like, that little child show called Ni Hao Kai Lan. I'm hoping, like, (laughs) I'm hoping by the time I have kids, there's, like, different versions of that I could share with my kids. Yeah. I should watch that show. Ni Hao Kai Lan. Yeah. Um, I'll start watching it. We can watch it together, you know? Taking your kids back to the motherland is such a huge thing. Like, I feel like... My level of pride for my identity and culture has, like, increased and surged just because of that, just being exposed. And I feel like if I can and can I can't afford it, I would love to take my kids back to Taiwan and be like, this is what this is what your, your grandma went to school. This is what I ate growing up. Like, these are little customs that you just understand by being and living in the culture. So if I can, I would love to take them back. Same. Same. Yeah. I think about that, too. I think about, like, I would want to bring them to show them where their grandparents grew up and then also just, like explore i mean china is so freaking huge it's like just going to explore just to kind of like find your roots yeah kind of a journey you know that's something i i definitely want want to do would you guys consider taking them like very like what is a good age because you know they say there's that differentiator between how early is it that they may not remember maybe like four or six because i think that's the first time i ever went um to visit the motherland and I, re- I have memories from from then so yeah probably yeah. I, I feel like that question is usually asked from parents who are like at what age should I bring my kids to Disneyland yeah <laughs> <laughs> just drop the like hundred plus dollar ticket for <laughs> yeah. to see if they'll remember yeah you know what I would do though because I my uncle did this with my cousin and I kind of did it with my my grandma did this with me but my mom has expressed you know very openly that when she retires with my dad that she'd love to spend half her time in Taiwan and half her time in um northern california so she's looking to like maybe like 
whether take like move into a property or whatever in Taiwan because you can have dual citizenship. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to like send my kids there over the summer and ha- so they can have like really mm-hmm. good relationship bonding time with their grandparents. And it's also like, I mean, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna miss my kids, but I feel like they would benefit so much from that. And I would love my grandparents to like really just form a really strong bond because like my my cousin and myself, we have we're the ones that were able to do that with my grandparents and we're the closest. You know, with my grandma yeah. because of that. So if, if that is an option, I would totally send my kids there for like two months. Mm. I'll send my kids there too. Yeah. I, same. Hunting <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, uh, gra- grandma, grandma Chen or gra- whatever. Grandma we'll Chang. The kids. Yeah. <laughs> Here's six kids coming your way. <laughs> she runs have, her own like summer program. <laughs> she'd be like, oh, I thought I was re- re- relaxing and retiring and relaxation. I guess I'm opening up a child rearing service. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I had this thought when I was um, taking a bathroom break. Um, I just I would love if all three of us, like, once we get married or, like, you know, have kids, it would be so much fun to, like, bring our families to our motherlands, even learn about mm. each other's cultures more. And I think our kids would love it. You know, if we could afford it, I think it would be so much fun. Yeah, I think, and in addition to trips, it's, like, things like the holidays, right? Like Chinese New Year, Moon Festival, um, for us to kind of make that the way that you would celebrate like Christmas or Thanksgiving um, and to really be able to, yeah. Because I feel like even as I've gotten older, we like Chinese New Year becomes less of a thing in my household just because we're not like as together as, as much anymore. Yeah. So it'd be great to mm-hmm. be able to create that for, for my own family. Yeah. Wait, yeah. have we celebrated Chinese New Year with each other, with our friends? I know this year I we were like celebrating. Not. Maybe that's something we can focus on more um, is to make, well, like, this... to do a proper celebration. Yeah. This year, our friend Lucia, she brought a couple mm. of friends together oh, and yeah. she made, like, the fish and yes. she made uh, some dumplings and uh, she's like, I'm going to do this annually. So, yeah, maybe we can contribute yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to the next one. We know that many of our ABGs and ABBs lead busy lives, and having to figure out what to eat can feel like just another thing on your to-do list. As a nice alternative to takeout, we like brands like Daily Harvest, a subscription food service that delivers clean, plant-based meals and smoothies to your door. It's very easy to customize and manage your orders, and each item takes just a couple of minutes to prepare. Their Brussels sprouts and lime pad thai harvest bowl is delicious. You can add a fried egg or roasted chicken to top it off for the perfect healthy meal. They never use preservatives, added sugar, or artificial ingredients. Their fruits and vegetables are flash frozen on location, meaning they allow it to fully ripen on the vine and freeze right away, versus other frozen foods which are picked prematurely and ripen in a warehouse. In addition to smoothies, bowls, and soups, they also have flatbreads and dessert bites. Their packaging is also now 100% recyclable. Go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code ABG to get $25 off your first box. That's promo code ABG for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swathers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swathers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than a leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode. Again, May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. We thought it would be a good time to bring in, you know, our experiences with our childhood and our relationships with our cultural identities and also how that is sort of shaping and forming as we grow older and older. So thank you for joining in and be sure to tag your own story, perhaps on Instagram, maybe take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then write your story over it. And we'll be happy to share that on our IG stories. You can find us on all the podcasting platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. We are Asian Boss Girl. Um, and if you'd like to support us through monthly donations, you can now find us on anchor.fm slash Asian Boss Girl slash support. 
Yeah, and we also have really amazing partnerships that we'll be happy to share with you all. We have a partnership with BetterHelp, Daily Harvest, and Ritual Vitamins. So make sure to go to asianbossgirl.com slash partnerships for our discount codes. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.